I want to start today with an exercise that you can all participate in. Did everybody receive one of these little checkerboards in your, in your service announcements? Everybody get one of these? Now, I just want to tell you that the early service was very cooperative on this exercise, okay? And so I'm, 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 I'm hoping that you all will be too. Um, all right, so when you look at this checkerboard, does everybody have one of these? Or sitting next to somebody that has one? Everybody get one? Okay, if you need one, raise your hand. Does anybody need one? Okay, oh, we're out of them. Okay, never mind, put your hand back down. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sit next to somebody who, who has one. Um, <laughs> That was awesome. Okay. So anyway, so you look at this checkerboard, and what I want you to do is compare square number one to square number two, right? You look at these two, and you can differentiate the colors of square number one from square number two. Square number one appears to be a black square, correct? Okay. Uh, Square number two appears to be a, a white square, Correct. Right? So square number one appears to be darker than square number two. We all, are we all on the same page so far? All right, good, good. This is so good. Um, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? I want you to first take this top, row of che- uh, this top row of squares and fold it backwards. Fold it backwards, okay? Okay, good. This is a free origami lesson for all of you that are here today. Um, take the bottom row... And fold that one backwards also, so that all you see is the middle row, okay? Everybody tracking with that? So far, so good? Any questions? Okay. Um, Somebody actually came up after service and gave me this piece of paper in the shape of a swan after service, I promise. Um, It's very good. Art Bollinger. Okay, now, um, take the square on the, take the far end square, either, either end actually, and fold it backwards. Good? And then do the same on the other end, the the final square backwards, okay? So now you should have four squares showing. All right, now, what I want you to do is fold the entire piece forward in half. So that it's forward in half, like that. And then take the two ends, which are going to be the squares one and two, and just fold those two back, and now look at them. Is that trickling in at this point? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? As it turns out, these two squares are exactly the same color, exactly the same hue. They're exactly the same, but, but when, you, when you fold them back out, they still, when you compare them, they still appear to be different. Sometimes when we compare things, we don't end up with the right answer. Sometimes when we compare things, even our eyes can deceive us. And so today, I'm going to title part two of How a Body Works. I'm going to title this sermon, The Comparison Curse. Comparison Curse. How many of you all have ever had that experience of comparing yourself to somebody else, either somebody that you thought was in some way superior to you or some way inferior? Has everybody done that? Okay. If you can't admit that, man, this this isn't going to work because we've all done it. Every single one of us has done it. I remember the very first time that I got stung really bad with the comparison curse, it was in fourth grade. And I had, I was at Tar Heel Elementary School, Lancaster, Ohio. I had a nice, I had a nice, I had a good thing going on at, at Tar Heel Elementary School. I, I, I had my little niche in the social, you know, pecking order. I knew where I stood. I had some friends and, 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 I, and I just kind of had my vibe going on, right? You know, and uh, one day, 
and about, I think it was about midway through fourth grade, something happened that disrupted everything that I thought about myself and, and knew about myself. And, and it disrupted the social network, the social fabric of my life. And what happened was a new guy came to our school and his name was Jonathan Nussbaum. And Jonathan Nussbaum, the first day he walks in, everybody's looking at this kid because he's our age, right? But the first thing I notice about this guy is like, that kid is, is way better looking than all the rest of us guys in this class. Like he is just objectively, categorically, he comes in looking like, you know, Brad Pitt just walked into the school. So everybody's like, who's this guy, right? And like, so immediately the, the girls in the fourth grade that I had my eye on, you know, like Chrissy Harner and Tabby Burke and Penny Plinky, like, I mean, we, you know, I had, you know, I had kind of in my mind what my situation was with them. And if I had sent one of them a note, I think they would have said yes. And so I was, I had a, I was working on stuff. Okay. I was, but Jonathan Nussbaum comes walking in and suddenly it's just like all heads went, whoa. Right. So now they're looking at him. So we're all just kind of gauging him, checking him out. Next thing I discover, like within the first couple days of class, this kid, it just, things just come easier for him. He's smarter than me. He's better looking and he's smarter. And as you could just tell, he would just answer the question. It wasn't show off, but just, he just knew the answers in a really easy way. Just flowed. No problem. So I'm like, man, the dude is good looking and smart. This is, then you start, a little rumor started going around, right? Jonathan Nussbaum's dad is a doctor. Okay. Now we, this is a little blue collar school in Lancaster, Ohio. Everybody in this school, everybody's parents work for anchor, anchor hawking glass manufacturing. So if you've ever, if you ever had a glass or a bowl with a little anchor on the bottom, they made that in, in our little town, Lancaster, Ohio. And, and so everybody worked there. It was just a full on blue collar school. And here comes this guy and, and his dad's a doctor, right? And so we're all just like, man, and you could tell he, he was just a little more refined than all of us. You know, he's just a little more cultured. You know, he had a little better manners. His, just the way he spoke, you could, his words came a little easier, right? So you're just watching this guy and going, man, this is like, this is really messing me up because I'm starting to compare myself to this guy and, and, I'm, and, and it's not going well for me, okay? Then Jonathan Nussbaum says, look, I wanna, and, you know, I'm a new guy. I want to invite everybody to my house. So everybody goes to Jonathan Nussbaum's house. Everybody in our class goes to Jonathan Nussbaum's house, right? First thing that I notice when we pull up is this house is, Huge compared to every other house I've ever seen. There are nice cars in the park, in the driveway, right? We go in. So the comparison curse is totally creeping up. And I'm just like, I'm feeling envy. I'm feeling jealousy. I'm feeling all. We, we go inside and I kid you not, you walk in, his parents are there. Hi guys, do you guys want to go swimming? We're like, yeah. Okay, here's our indoor pool. And they literally, we open a door and there's a, I had never seen a pool inside of a house before. I had seen them at the YMCA. That's the only time I'd ever seen a pool inside of something. I'm like, does, how does this even work? There's a, right? And so we're all swimming and everybody, and Jonathan just, you know, and then, this is, I just got to get it off my chest, right? Okay. At the end of the party, we play a game that I know none of you have ever played because you are all far more spiritual, but we played a game called Kiss Tag. Does anybody, anybody remember Kiss Tag? Nobody played Kiss Tag? This was a small town thing. We were bored and this is just how, how it happened. Kiss Tag is exactly what you think. You chase somebody and if you catch them, you get to kiss them, right? Well, imagine how this turns out. Right? Just think about it for a second, right? It was like an Axe body spray commercial with Jonathan Nussbaum. Like, he's running. All the girls in the class are chasing him. 
And we, the other guys in the class, are just kind of like, okay, so what are, what are we, I mean, what are we supposed to do, you know? Um, it was a bad situation. It could have been okay if Jonathan had been a jerk. Because then I could have gone, you know what, but he might be smarter, he might be better looking, he might be, have more money, he might be more refined, he might be all this. But you know what, man, he is, a, he is just a jerk. And I have the moral high ground on him. I'm just a better person. The problem was, this was the nicest kid you have ever met in your life. Total kindness, no pride, just a sweet guy, right? So I didn't even have the moral high ground. Anywhere I compared myself to Jonathan, Jonathan Nussbaum, I fell short. Actually, that was another category. He was taller than me. And so I, 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 it was just no matter how you looked at it, right? I got bit. I got stung with the comparison curse. And you know how this is. We've all done this, right? We've all looked at other people and compared ourselves to them. And it is a downward spiral. It is a, it is a killer instinct, right? Because the only thing that you can do, and we all do it this way, we either downward compare which means we look at people that we think are less than us, that have less going on, that are less valuable, that are less important, and we then deem ourselves more important than them, right? This is what I call the Jerry Springer effect. This is why people watch Jerry Springer, so they can look at people doing crazy, ridiculous things and go, I might be bad, but I ain't that bad, right? So that's, that's we either look, we have a downward comparison, or we have an upward comparison. We look at somebody and we go, that person is so much better than me at everything. I like, who am I? Like, I'm no good. I'm not, you know, and you get this sense of inadequacy or self-loathing or whatever. You just start to feel like I can't, I can't do anything. I can't be anything because I can't be that, right? The problem with comparison is what we're doing when we do it is we are determining our value and our wealth based upon how we stack up against somebody else. That's why we compare ourselves. We compare ourselves to try to figure out where we fit. How valuable socially am I? How, how, you know, where do I land in the social pecking order? And I do that by looking at other people and seeing how I stack up against them, right? That's why we compare. And it's, a, it's, an, absolutely, it's an absolutely toxic way to determine your own value and your own worth. And you know this because you either end up being self-righteous and full of hubris and pride, and, and disdaining other people, and looking down on them, and discounting their worth, or you look down upon yourself, and you've, you develop a sense of complete inadequacy, and you think, I just can't do anything, and I'm not any good, or I'm no, of no value whatsoever. And that's why we get caught in this comparison curse. The thing is, this has been going on for as long as human beings have existed. We've always done this. We've always done this. Humans have always done this. And when the Apostle Paul is talking to us, and the early Christians about being part of the, what he calls the body of Christ, the community of Jesus' followers, he knows that when you're in community with other people, there's going to be a tendency to look at other people and compare yourself to them, right? And so he says, I want to tell you about what it means to be in the body of Christ, and part of it is I want to extricate the comparison curse out of your life because you cannot achieve your personal or your collective potential if you are caught in the comparison curse. So look what he says. It, using, continuing with this analogy of the body, what he says about comparison. Here's what he says. He says, now, if the foot should say, okay, so we're using the, we're using the comparison, the, the body analogy. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not 
For that reason, stop being part of the body. In other words, this is an upward comparison. If you're saying, you know what, I'm not that, so I must not be anything. He's saying, that's not, that's not the way it works. The foot can't say, I'm not part of the body just because I'm not the hand, right? And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. So he's saying the same thing. If you're looking at somebody else and going, well, I'm not that, so I must not be of any worth or value, that doesn't mean you're not part of the body. If the whole body, he says, were an, were a, uh, were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? He says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, every one of you. Remember, last week we learned we are the parts of the body that he's talking about. He's talking about human beings. We're the parts. Every one of us, he says, has placed them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Right? If we were all one thing, then this thing wouldn't work. You've got to have the different parts for the whole thing to work. He says, as it is, there are many parts, but there's only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. This is the downward comparison, right? I don't need you. I'm superior to you. I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. But he said, God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have, look at this, equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying if one person in the body suffers, the whole body suffers with that part. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I want to say just just for a moment, what we're seeing happening in Charlottesville right now is is an extension of of this comparison trap where some people think that they're superior to other people. And it's been part of our country. It's not just our, part, our country. It's been part of the world since human beings started, right? This concept of white supremacy and all of this. This, this, this comes from a deep-seated idea that some, one, one group of people is superior to another group of people. But as followers of Jesus, he's saying, we're, we believe in Christ's supremacy, right? And when Christ is supreme, what happens is all of us become equal brothers and sisters in Christ from every nation, tongue, and tribe, every ethnicity, every culture, every background, right? We become one. When one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part is honored, we all rejoice. We become one body. And so this kind of comparison cursed is a, is a, is a cancer when it enters into the body of Christ because what happens is it causes the body to turn on itself and start to harm itself. Right? So the cancer has to be extricated for the body to, to, to survive and to flourish. So the, the gospel has to reach into the hearts of all of us and burn out the cancer of the comparison curse that we experience so that we can actually see each other as one body, united, working together, loving each other, taking care of each other. That's how a body works. That's what it means to be part of a body. Okay? Now he says, you are... The body of Christ, you are, we are, and each one of you is a part of it. So he says, look, this is how this thing works. You're a body. A body cannot fight against itself. If a body's going to actually work, it's got to work in conjunction, right? So the very first thing that we recognize from this passage is that for a body to work, there's got to be a spirit of cooperation, not competition. Are you with me? Cooperation not competition. Now, there's a certain element of, of healthy competition in life, and I, I'm a competitive person. I like competition. I'm, I like sports. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I like it because sometimes when you're competing with somebody in a, in a good way, it actually helps you to do better at what you're doing and it pushes you further. And so I'm all for it. But, but competition can get out of, out of whack, okay? My wife, for example, will not play Scrabble with me anymore. She refuses. She, because, because, <laughs> because, <laughs> can somebody turn her microphone off, please? <laughs> um, I, because, I mean, this is such a nerd thing to say, but like, I like to just dominate in Scrabble. I like to, I like to get, I like to get the, the Z on the triple word score and then just rock that 40 point word. You know what I mean? And just like, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. Um, I almost got kicked out of a family reunion one time for a Scrabble issue with my cousin, Charlotte, but that's another story for another day. Um, (laughs) but, but. The, the problem is when we are competing in the body of Christ, when we're fighting against each other instead of cooperating with each other within a church community or, or across churches or within the, the global body of Christ, then not only do we harm ourselves, but we completely lose track of our mission. We completely lose track of what it is we're trying to do. Last week we talked about that. The purpose is to, to love people, right? But we can lose track of that. I, I'll, I'll do, as long as I'm confessing, um, I'll, I'll tell you another one. And this... This is one where some guys, some, I know a lot of pastors in the community. I know a lot of church planters and we all get together and sometimes we have lunch together and we pray together and we spend time, you know, encouraging each other, right? But there's also just a little tinge of like competitiveness among the pastors. Like, you know, how's that church doing? I wonder, how are you guys doing, right? And you're kind of asking, you know, how, you know, how are you guys doing? But you're kind of going like, are they doing better than us? Like, um, how many people did you baptize? Uh, okay, okay, because we baptized 15 last week, so that's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, like, I know it's terrible, and, but, you know, this is, this is who I am, so don't judge, and this is what you got to work with, so probably thought I was way more holy than this. But, um, but this, you know, this tendency can, can grow up, and it can become toxic in the body of Christ, right? And so I'm talking to another pastor. This is about six months ago. And we're talking and, you know, how are you guys doing? Great. And we're talking just gospel and body of Christ. Jesus, let's do this, you know. And, and as we're talking, I thought about this thing that happened for our church that's been helpful to us. Somebody showed us that, there's a, that we could apply for what's called a Google ad grant. And it's like a, it's a, free, it's a free thing. You, you apply to Google and since you're a nonprofit, they'll, they'll actually make um, ad. They'll give you ad space online for free. And it's like worth a lot of money. And so somebody told us about it and we applied for it and we got it. And so now we have like little Google ads online. I don't know if anybody's seen them. I don't know if anybody's clicked on them, but they're there. And like they're, they're, you know, ostensibly worth something. You know, there's some value in having them there. And as I'm talking to this pastor friend of mine, the thought comes to mind, like, you know what? I should tell him about the Google ad grants because man, it'd be great. He could promote his church. Right. (laughs) And then, and then another part of me the comparison curse part goes, dude, don't tell him about the ad grant because then he'll get a Google ad and then it'll be competing with your ad and then people might go to their church and not come to your church and you, you don't want that, right? And you guys are just so holy and righteous right now that you feel I'm out here flapping in the wind all by myself. Help him, Jesus did not lie in the house of the Lord. So I'm thinking, like, I shouldn't really, I'm not going to tell him. Anyway, bro, hey, man, good to see you. God bless. All right, take care. And I walk away, okay? Now, I get about 10 feet. 
gut check. I mean, Holy Spirit, like, what do you think you are doing? You don't want to share something that would be helpful to his church because you're in competition with him, because you want more people to come. You don't want people to go to his church. Like, you know what I mean? And like, I'm walking and I'm like, it's like slow motion. And then I turn around and I go running after him and I go, hey man, hey. And I'm like, like I just now thought of it. Like, oh, I was, hey, let me, hey, um, let me tell you something, this thing. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and he, you know, he was very grateful. And and now probably they have a Google ad brand. I hope so. But, But what happens is if we allow this curse to get in, this cancer inside of us, we forget what we're doing. We forget that the goal is to bring people from all walks of life into the body of Christ, wherever that is, right? That's our goal. That's our purpose, right? So, 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 so how, do we, how do we adjust that? How do we not get stuck in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the competition part, right? How do we not get stuck? How do we get into uh, the, the collaboration part, right? And the cooperation, right? The thing is, we have to remember and focus on our purpose, over our position. If we think about our position, then I'm going to go, uh, our church is here and your church is there. Okay. If I think about our purpose, I go, dude, I, let's just empower everybody with as much stuff as we can to get people saved and get people in and get to experience the love of Christ. Right. So that, that's a very, you got to, you got to focus on your purpose, not on your position. If you focus on your position, you're, 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 fo- you're like a hand that's all about itself. I'm just over here being a hand. I'm not going to tie the shoe because that's another part of the body. I'm just going to hang out here and count myself. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's what, it, that's what it's saying. You got you to know your purpose in the body, right? I'm going to show you um, um, a picture. I had dinner the other night with these two guys right here, Dean Coble and George Katumba. Um, most of you, some of you know them, some of you don't know them. They were both at the first service and they were both mortified by this picture. <laughs> Because they didn't know that I had gone on Facebook and stolen these pictures right off of their personal sites, and I'm putting them right here today. So now, just discovered they blocked me. Both of them blocked me. No, I'm just um, So, these are two guys. They, these guys are the co-leaders of our, what we call it, setup and breakdown team. But on Thursday, they actually changed the name. Thursday night, we're at dinner, and they changed the name. And so I'm unveiling it and rolling it out right now for the first time. It's called The Lift Team. Is that a good name? That's such a good name. I love that. Um, and so Dean says, if you have the gift of lift, you can join our team. All right. So, um, so we're out to dinner and we're talking. And what, I, what struck me about these two guys is that they're not concerned about their position. They are concerned about the purpose that they are fulfilling within the body of Christ. The, if, if you like the fact that there's a hospitality table and and, and a welcome table and their speaker stands and s- signs and stuff set up, you should thank them. Because what they're thinking is, we got to make sure that this place is available and arranged in such a way that people can come and experience Christ here, right? And so our purpose, we're, we're interested in our purpose, not our position, right? The apostle, uh, uh, apostle John and James came to Jesus in, in, in the gospel of Luke. Actually, they didn't just come. Their mom brought them, okay? Their mom brought them, James and John, to Jesus. Okay, think of this, stage mom. She's got her boys by the hand. She's got them by the ears, probably. And she's bringing them to Jesus. And she says, Jesus, my boys are such good boys. And if, if you would do us the honor, I would love for you to make them 
sit at your right hand and at your left hand in the kingdom of God. I want, I want them to have a position above everybody else. I want them to be seated right next to you. That's my goal is to get my boys in a good position. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're asking. First of all, positions are not for me to, to determine. I'm not, even, I'm not even thinking about positions. But I will tell you your, pur- your purpose. And if you want to be great, I'll tell you how to do that. Get on your knees and serve somebody. Get down on your knees and wash somebody's feet because that's how you fulfill your purpose and that's how you become great in our kingdom. That's how, that's how a body works, right? Because you start to focus on your purpose, not on your position. Listen to this. This guy, Dean Coble, is a professor of forest biometrics. He's a, he's a published uh, academic. He's a professor. He's, I mean, he's a really smart guy. Like when he's talking... I just pretend like I know what he's talking about, but most of the time I don't. I just nod and keep eating. And I mean, he could pull rank and go, dude, my job is to think about things, not to lift things, right? Right? My, that's my position. My, my, my position is I'm here in the, in the, you know, in the academic realm and I, you know, doing, serving that kind of, that's not me, right? He could easily do that, but he doesn't do that because he's interested in his purpose, not in his position. George Katumba is getting a PhD in biometrics, bio, no, biochemistry. I don't even, I, it's so above me, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> biochemistry, biophysics, structural biology. He's talking to me about how bacteria does stuff. And I'm like, if I could, if I could understand what you're talking about, I'd use it for a sermon. But I just can't even personally <laughs> grasp it. This is like the smartest setup team on the planet, people, right? These guys could easily go, hey, man, look that's, we're, we're concerned with our position. They're like, no, look, here's what we want. We want to discover our purpose. We want to fulfill our purpose. We want to be part of the body of Christ. If that means we're going to be the feet right now, oh, that's fine. We'll just lift stuff and we'll be the feet because that's, that's who we are. That's what we're about. That's why they get a team together, right? If you want to, if you want to be on their team, just write gift of lift on your connection card and they'll reach out to you. I mean, this is what it's about. It's about discovering and pursuing your purpose above your position, right? So what happens, what happens when the body does that? What happens, what results when the body begins to, when you and I begin to not worry about comp- competing but collaborating? When we stop worrying about our, our, our position and start thinking about our purpose, I'll tell you what happens. We become an environment of compassion, not condemnation. That's what happens when the body of Christ focuses on what it's really about. Barna Research has, has done all these studies and interviews and whatever. One of the top reasons people leave the church or don't come back to the church or stay away from the church is because they feel condemned. Because the body of Christ has been cursed with the cancer of looking down at other people and making them feel as if they are not as good. Right? It's the comparison curse. You're coming in, I'm comparing myself, my righteousness, my holiness, my goodness, my greatness, my grandness to you. I'm better, you're worse. They feel that. And they go, I'm out. Because I actually kind of feel the same way. I kind of already feel pretty crummy about myself. And so I don't want to go somewhere that makes me feel worse. Right? That's happened all over around the world for just about 2,000 years. Actually a little longer than that. That's just, and, and God is saying, look, I want you to be a place where... There's compassion and, 
and not condemnation, right? I want you to be a place where people come in and they actually experience love and they experience grace. They, they experience a sense of equality, even though they might be far from Christ or they don't even believe or whatever. They're in some situation that's like not honoring God. And yet we make them feel embraced and loved and cared for because they are embraced and they are loved and they are cared for, for real. Like, it can't, it can't be like phony. It's gotta be, it's gotta be the real thing where you're like, I actually love this person. I actually wanna see them grow. I actually wanna see them flourish. I actually wanna see them develop into the part of the body that they are, right? That's my goal. Jesus, as he was preaching, he, he turns to a group of people that it, the, the scripture says they were a group of people who had a tendency to look at other people as lower than themselves. They looked at other people and they thought those people are less than me. It was a group of religious rock stars that were just killing it on the religious front, right? And he's having a talk with them and he tells them the story. He says, there were two guys that went to the temple to pray. One of them was one of you, religious rock star, amazing guy. The other one was this total, total outcast, total jerk. Nobody liked this guy. Nobody liked this guy. He didn't even like himself. He was just a, he was just a low life. And the religious guy comes and he's at the temple and he goes, God, just so thankful to be here today. Just so thankful that I'm so awesome today. Thank you that I'm not an adulterer or fornicator or a sinner of any kind. Thank you that I am just living right, just living good. Thank you so much. And thank you so much that I'm not like this guy over here who is so bad off. This guy is horrible and I just praise God that I'm not him. Thank you and peace out, Lord. I love you. Amen. And he leaves. This guy says, doesn't even look up, doesn't even look at the other guy, doesn't even look at him, but says, Father, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. I need you. I can't, I'm not even going to compare myself. If I compared myself, I would feel so bad about myself right now. I'm just a sinner and I need you, right? And he, all he did was focus on Christ. Jesus said, who do you think left there justified? I'll tell you who left justified. This guy left justified because he's coming after me. He's trying to find his value and his worth in me, not by comparing himself to somebody else. He's deriving the source of of his identity and his value and his worth by looking at me and asking for me to impute my love and my grace and my mercy and my strength to him and my righteousness and my holiness. I'm gonna give it to him. I can't give it to this guy because he's, he's already full of it. More ways than one. He's just this, this is him. This guy I'm going to give it to, right? God is calling each and every one of us to lay down the trap, to let go of the comparison curse, to rid our lives of that and focus on Christ alone, to look after Christ alone, to say, God, I'm going to get all of my identity, all of my worth, all of my value from you so that I can interact with other people in a way that pleases you, that honors them, that brings strength to them, that helps them become the person that they are supposed to be. I'm gonna actually interact with the body in a way to help the whole body grow. I'm I'm gonna be a part of the purpose. I'm not gonna worry about my position. I'm gonna push forward into, I don't care about superiority, I care about service, right? I wanna be what you've called me to be, which is also helping other people be what you've called them to be. So I'm not going to be looking, you know, imagine what, what our life looks like if we do this in our home. Well, if we do this in our, at our job, we start co- working collectively and collaborating with other people to try to achieve something greater than ourselves, right? 
at our, at, you know, in our schools, in our church. Man, it's transformative. It is transformative. When the body works right, it changes the world. Because it's Christ's body. Greater things will you do than I'm doing, he said. That's the only way that works is if we're all doing it together around the world. Today, some of you, I think, I know, are struggling with this one way or another. You're either looking up at people and you're going, you know, I'm not as good. I'm not as good. I can't be that. I'm not. And you're devaluing yourself. Or you're looking down at people and you might not even know it, but somewhere in your heart, you're going, actually, I am better than that person, right? And both of them will, will, will destroy your life. I'm just telling you, it will destroy your life. But if you, will, if you will release that and you will find your identity in Christ alone, he'll transform your life from the inside out. And you'll be part of making the body work. Let's close our eyes. Let, let me pray for, for you right now. If you're here today and, and you are experiencing that sort of downward comparison, you're looking at other people and you know that you've got some self-righteousness in you. The hardest part about knowing that you have self-righteousness is knowing that you have self-righteousness because you feel like you're above it. But there's, there's, if, it, if it's in you, I want you to pray today, God, get this out of me. I repent of this. And if you're an upward comparison person, you've just been looking at people and you think, God, they're so much better than me and I can never be as good as them and I'm not like them and I can't. I'm gonna pray, I want you to pray for God to just relieve you of that. Take that curse out so that you can actually experience who you really are. You can actually experience your true potential. You can actually experience your true purpose in life when you understand that you find your identity, your value, and your worth in Christ alone. God, I just pray for every single one of us right here, right now, today. I pray for every single person in this auditorium, God, that you would just reach into even the the recesses of their heart that they don't even know are there. The feelings that they don't even know are there. Reach in, God. And, and cleanse them and purify them, God. And, and, and relieve that curse and, and pull that cancer out of their heart, our heart, all of us, God. Take it out, God, and let us look to you, to Christ alone for our identity, for our worth, for our value. To stop comparing upward or downward, but to actually experience the real joy, the love, and the grace of being part of your body, helping the other parts of the body work together. And then reaching out to the world around us with love so that they can be a part of the body also. Father, I pray that you would give us strength and courage and wisdom to do this. Help us to encourage one another to do this. To to stir each other up to good works. Father, that you may be honored and you may be glorified and you may be praised. In Jesus' name we pray.